welcome to episode 59 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and we'll be the NCP crew. Richard. I have nothing witty to say here, so I'm leaving it up to you, the audience, to decide what witty thing I should say. Write in and let us know. Luke. I wrote in and I didn't like the response. Can you give me a better one? I'll do my best. And Crystal. I'm wondering if uh, next week we get to meet the Beach Boys and the Beatles. I have no right. idea what that means. I do. What does it mean? Our next episode is our 60th episode. Maybe we should dig out the old time machine and whip back uh, to the 60s. I'm obviously a bit slow this morning. Can we really talk about this sort of stuff on the 60th episode? It's the 59th episode. <laughs> but it's about getting prepared. Oh, okay. You don't right. just, you just right. uh, you know, throw a switch and hope to go backwards and forwards through time. Hang on, that's what we're pretty sure that's what it does. <laughs> and look at the problems that caused. All right, well, um, can't get rid apologies of to all the 59s. Out there, uh, this is a it's a huge show, fifty nine. But yes, it's you just prepare yourself for sixty. As these are these people are obviously very excited about episode sixty. I don't know, understand why, but there you go. Uh, fifty nine, just as important. Uh, for this episode, we have our five minute popcorn junkies. We have a, a little segment on all ages comics because um, all age comics, I think they're very important, uh, and a giveaway as part of that segment as well. Um, and we also have some event notifications that uh, are going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So let's get cracking. We've got a lot to go through. Just before we head off into the uh, the wild world of episode 59, <laughs> um, I just want to say a big thank you to David Adams, who uh, was the winner of our Aliens competition slash giveaway. Um, it was... Uh, it was really cool. He's uh, he's received the the Blu-rays, and I threw in a T-shirt as well. And uh, he was awesome. He took a selfie photo of himself uh, on his Facebook page, and That's then a I put pretty a, good selfie. It was it was a damn impressive selfie. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we put it on the Facebook page as well. He was very excited, and um, he's hopefully now a lifelong fan. <laughs> <laughs> it got you hooked. So it got him hooked. Fair the first enough. one's free. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. So uh, thanks, Dave. Hope you're listening. And the coolest name ever, obviously, of mm. course. Adams, yeah, it's pretty good. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. So further to our uh, sweeping changes, uh, upper management have, have made the changes. So we're going to introduce, um, I wouldn't really call it a new segment, I guess, but uh, at the start of every episode, we're going to try and talk about uh, things that have happened in the, the world of nerd culture. Um, any uh, current events, uh whether good or bad or indifferent, and the reason I, and the reason we're starting with this particular in this particular episode is because in the last couple of weeks we've actually had two pretty momentous events uh, happen in the in the world of no culture. Uh, first off, we had um, the DC Comics uh, submission for Harley Quinn issue zero uh, by Jimmy Palamonte and Amanda Connor, um, which stirred uh, stirred up a bit of controversy. Uh, we also had uh, J H Williams leave the title uh, due to some controversy. So. So we'll start off with the Harley Quinn one. Mm. So to give you a bit of background, Harley Quinn issue zero uh, is going to basically reintroduce Harley Quinn. Um, so she's already part of the DC's New 52, but she's quite a serious sort of character and, you know, like insane. But They've played up more of a sociopath yeah. pathology as opposed to the, um, the fun, quite humorous uh, little pixie that we were all used to from ever since... The animated series, so... Yeah, exactly, right. So she started off in the anime series and then she went into comics and she had uh, some, you know, notable titles like Mad Love, for example, which, um, yeah, like Luke said, played up her, her Looney Tunes-esque type sort of nature. Yeah. Um, and she was much loved for that reason. Mm. Uh, I'm a big Harley Quinn fan. I think she's awesome. Mm. The new DC, the new 52 version of Harley Quinn, unfortunately, is not as lovable and would just as easily kill you. Well, she's just not mm. as fun. That, that's yeah. Not, Harley Quinn was a nice offset to the Joker who could be quite serious and psychotic and you know she brightened things up a bit that's right but she had a character of her own and you know relationships of her own and so um dc's done uh done what i actually think is awesome is they're actually having a artist submission thing um it's it's a cool idea and more comic companies should do more of it um where uh somebody like yourself uh, you know um could draw a page from harley quinn issue zero and they had some submission guidelines like they always do uh it's a four panel page um the first three panels are not really that important it's just harley quinn being being silly but panel four is uh, the one that stirred up a bit of controversy and uh, the description for panel four is harley sitting naked in a bathtub with toasters blow dryers blenders appliances all dangling above the bathtub she has a cord that will release them all 
We are watching the moment before the inevitable death. Her expression is one of, oh well, guess that's it for me. And she has resigned herself to the moment that is going to happen. So the two complaints, the major complaints about that very poorly written paragraph Mm. um, is that, A, she's naked. Like, why does it specifically denote that she's naked? Well, I mean, she's in a bathtub. She's so a bathtub and you I can, guess that pretty much makes and sense. And to get that, you, you can, in my head, I can, I got, I can see ways where you, you, you're showing, you know, maybe shoulders and she's sitting in the bathtub smiling. Well, it's DC Comics, so it's not going to show too much. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's number one. But more, more importantly, it's, it's also the fact that she's going to commit suicide. Mm. Um, so quite a lot of uh, comic heavyweights have jumped into this. Kurt Busiak, Mark Wade, uh, Gal Simone... Marjorie Lou uh, all sort of jumped in from work from and had a bit of a conversation about it. Um, Kobe Isaac didn't see the problem with it. Mark Wade had a big problem with it. Um, and then uh, Jim Lee, a co-publisher of DC Comics, then uh, jumped in and, uh, in my opinion, kind of made it worse. <laughs> but um, he didn't mean to, obviously, but he did accidentally ma- make it kind of worse. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm interested in the uh, the opinions of the crew. What do you guys make of it? When you when uh, the Nerd Culture Podcast tweeted that, my initial response was I tweeted back, I went, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as listeners would know, I'm not a big comic reader any, anyway, and uh, the guys here have been trying to get into comics. And, I've, and it's just, it's just, forget about all the other stuff. It's just, there's so many um, overtly sexualized female characters in the comics and and people say oh it's for art or it's uh, you know this character's meant to look this way because of this particular storyline and you dress it up however you want you just want to see boobies <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all it is i mean i, I know, and i'm aware that the men can get quite skimpy as well and that's just oh, it's just bad but what what about good story writing and good drawing good art uh, it just seems to me that that's the road that DC and possibly other people are heading down. They just want to bring in the people who want to look at the boobies. They're not bringing me in. (laughs) (laughs) My my response to that is if you want good story, good art, go to read stuff by Image, which actually um, doesn't pander to the fanboy studies, which you're talking about Mm -hmm. there, Crystal, and you're absolutely right. It's there's a lot when it comes to um, avert the overt sexualization of women. Yes, the men, you know, they do skimpy costumes, but they don't sexualize them. That's right. There's um, no there's the, no pouting or you know, yeah. butt shots. Um, <laughs> Having said that, you could actually do that very panel in a way that doesn't actually sexualise the character. Yeah, but that's not what they want. Hmm. Well, of course not. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen what Harley Quinn wears but these the, days, the, then... Uh, she's going back to her other costume. Her other costume. It's bus- oh, I think yeah. it's, yeah. it's kind of a combination of the new one and the old. Right. It's business sense. They know their market and they're catering for it. Yeah. Um, but the, the, other, the other sort of controversy is that it's a character depicting suicide as a comedic thing. And that, I think, is actually the more worrying, mm. the slightly more worrying aspect. I, like yourself, Dave, I'm a big fan of Harley as a character. Mm. Um, I've loved her ever since the animated series and was, you know, one of those that went, yes, thank you for bringing her into the DC, into the comic book universe officially. Um, and look, it sort of fits into her character. And yes, she is uh, an anti-hero slash villain. Mm. At the same time, though, she unlike, say, the Joker, who is an out-and-out bad guy, there is still a slight moral core to her. it. There's a point there where it stops being um, funny and it just becomes disturbing. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a difference between macabre comedy and just sick. Mm. I suppose it also depends on what the punchline to this joke is. Like, yeah. What's yeah. the yeah. very next panel? What's on the next page? Where does it actually go? They've kind of just... Thrown it out there. Yeah, like if and the appliance just hits her, falls down, hits her on her head, and knocks her out, that could be funny. Well, yeah, I mean, where where, do, where does the actual scene go from there? And I think that first of all, I think they've actually picked the exact wrong page in that regard to actually send out for people to draw because yep. it does have this potentially overt sexualization. Oh, scene. they're going to get and you know, plenty of people will be drawing that. Yeah. Plus, you've got this whole suicide, possibly gag, but it seems like a gag that hasn't gotten to the punchline yet. Yeah. And yeah, if, that, if it is just standalone, then that's kind of stupid. And I, I suppose that's the point Jim Lee was kind of trying to make, with, but he just completely botched it. Yeah. He, he seemed to be trying to talk about context, but without what happens next, you don't actually know the context of the scene. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, um, that's the Harley Quinn issue. Um, uh, so, yeah, so the second, the second one I want to talk about is uh, J.H. Williams um, leaving Batwoman, a uh, title that he's 
very famous for, and rightfully so, because it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Richard, want to hit us off with the, that one? Yeah, basically, um, J.H. Williams and um, his co-writer, W. Hayden Blackman. Yeah. Apparently, and this, this is coming purely from, from the creators, they'd been working on a long-term plan for the book uh, that involved uh, the main character marrying her female lover. Because in case you didn't know, Batwoman is a lesbian. It's been a big deal, basically from the time she was first created, and there was all this wonderful excitement about it at the time. The, the good thing about the book is that it's not the defining characteristic of her personality. Mm. It's just one part of who she is, and I do appreciate them for writing her that way. But they've been working on this long-term plan to actually have the two characters get married. And apparently at the 11th hour, they were told um, that they weren't allowed to actually go through with the marriage anymore. Upset with that and, and other changes that had been made. I mean, we've all heard about the DC editorial uh, control issues that have, that have come up since the 52 started. Uh, the new 52 started, but because of that, they've left the book. Then, of course, in typical DC put-your-foot-in-your-mouth kind of way, where they've come out to try and explain their stance, they've basically declared that, no, 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 it wasn't that specific marriage, it was all marriage that's now going to be banned from their book. So no character is allowed to get married at all. And Same as their pro-premarital sex. Well, even, even, characters, right. like, even <laughs> characters like... They've now declared that Aquaman, who was seemingly married to, to Mira. In, Quite clearly uh, married to in, Mira. In, in, in the, the series that I've been reading. <laughs> yeah. They've now declared uh, that they're in fact not married either, which to me seems like something of a um, knee-jerk response to try and say, no, 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 we're not homophobic at all. Does that we're mean Mara and Park Kent weren't, weren't married? Just Because that's, that's just outrage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's homophobic. I think it's bigotry. It's because you're saying a whole, there's a whole group of people who aren't allowed to do something that everyone else is. Basically, mm. yeah, but but they're they're saying that um, it's yeah it's all characters that aren't allowed to be married, now. which is clearly lies. <laughs> it's clearly lies. Well, to be fair, they did break up pretty much all of the major um, marriage relationships they had when they started this new Fifty Two. Mm. Have um, Sue and Ralph Dig- Digby been introduced to the new Fifty Two yet? Not that I'm aware of. No, not that. Because if saying. they're not married, what what the hell is that? <laughs> well, obviously, the big one was breaking up uh, Superman and Lois Lane. Yeah. Um, well, they were never together from the start of New 52, so... Yeah. So, of course, this has led to two controversies. Obviously, the first one about gay marriage in comics, but also um, a bit of a controversy about marriage in general because both Marvel and DC seem to have this idea that married couples in comics can't actually... will, will in some way uh, stifle good storytelling. They should, have, they should have Mephisto show up as a cameo. <laughs> he, you know, he hates marriage. Absolutely. <laughs> how, far, how far do they take this, though? Is it even the minor characters, like they're rescuing the little kitties from a tree or something, and their mum and dad isn't married either? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, that it's, is spot it's, on. It's, spe- it's specifically the main characters in books that aren't allowed to be married. Hilarious. Personally, I think... Um, personally, I think both... Yeah. Arguments are ridiculous. Yep. A, and, I, and I'll, I'll come out and say it right now, I am fully in support of gay marriage. And I think presenting gay marriage in comics is actually a really good positive uh, message to send out to the public. Um, obviously, Marvel did it with uh, North Star getting married. Mm. And I thought, fantastic. The story wasn't all that great. But the story was terrible. Yeah, but the fact, <laughs> that, but the fact that, that they've taken that step, and of course oh, yeah. you've got... Uh, You've got uh, and there's, a, there's other examples, but I, I just want to throw something at you, though. Yeah. What I, find, I actually found that um, something Phil Jimenez said quite interesting in, this, in that he actually thinks that the rush to have um, homosexual characters get married in comics is actually a bad thing because he wants to see a character who is homosexual, uh, either male or female, but is actually a bit of a player. So he thinks that they're, that they're that agreeing to let them get married is actually saying that we don't agree with homosexual people who sleep around. Um, I've got a response to that. Renee Montoya in 52. Yeah, yes. and, and, and um, Dakin. Dakin, yeah. 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 Um, I, I think He's actually are, bisexual. So. I, I, don't, I suppose in regards to this specific story, though, there wasn't a rush to make this happen. It's a yeah. story that's been building up over... You know, two years. Yeah. You know, and you've seen the steps, and probably even before that, I mean, there's, you know, they've, they've set up the characters' relationships well in advance mm. of this storyline, and they've been working towards their goal. Mm. At the risk of sounding pedantic, um, I'm all for marriage, not just gay marriage, 
let's just say marriage, whether you want to marry a female, a male. I'm all for marriage equality and <laughs> that you could, you should be able to marry the person you love. Yeah. Yep. If I wasn't allowed mm. to marry the person I love, I, I would be one inconsolable moon pie. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well that, that pretty much goes that. Alright, our five minute popcorn junkies. First up we have Richo with the Wolverine. Uh, the Wolverine is, of course, the latest in a long line of uh, X-Men movies. Um, obviously, this one featuring Wolverine, hence the title. <laughs> the uh, Wolverine. The Wolverine, directed by James Mangold. Starring, of course, Hugh Jackman. Now, what, 13 years into playing Wolverine, having done it, I think, six times we've worked out. Yep. If you include his cameo in First Class. Best cameo ever. It also stars Tao Okamoto as Mariko. Rila Fukushima as Yukio, Hiroyuki Sanada as Shingen, and Svetlana Kodshenkova as Viper. And I think it's a good thing that uh, Dave didn't actually review this film because <laughs> he probably wouldn't have gotten all of the, any of those names right. That's um, a bit mean. That's not saying that you did. <laughs> You're saying, yeah, no, no, true, I was about to say, yeah, um, you didn't do that much better. <laughs> I got it right, and that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you think you got it right. The story uh, opens with uh, Wolverine basically living up in the wilds of Canada, um, still dealing with the death of Jean Grey from the god-awful X-Men 3 movie. And, uh, but very quickly, he is brought by uh, Yukio to Japan, where he becomes embroiled in a story involving the Silver Samurai, Viper, and the Hand. And uh, it's based on two absolute classic uh, Wolverine stories from the comics, um, the Chris Claremont, Frank Millard miniseries, and the follow-up story that uh, Chris Claremont did with Paul Smith in the page of his X-Men itself. Um, and I have to say, I was very, very impressed by this film. Look, Wolverine Origins come under a lot of derision in the past, um, and I must admit I didn't dislike it anywhere near as much as others did, but let's face facts, it wasn't a great film. This movie kind of just doesn't really cover anything from that that past film, or really much from um, the X-Men movies at all, except, of course, that Wolverine is dealing with the death of Jean. Through what happens in the film, he actually sort of gets over what's happened to her, mainly through his relationship with Mariko. But what really makes this film stand out for me is that it's actually, despite a lot of action sequences, it's actually a really strong character story. Everything that happens in it is driven by Logan, where he's at, where he's going, the arc that he follows... From really, I guess, wild man to kind of trying to embrace some of the Japanese ideas of uh, codes of honor. And um, yeah, that, that that's really the strong point. And getting a director like James Mangold, um, who has in the past been more of a character director, um, was, I think, actually a very good, a very good move on their mm. part. They've given us an interesting story, interesting characters. Yukio especially is awesome. She steals the show um, in a lot of scenes, which she should. Anybody that's read the comics will know that Yukio is kind of a really cool, awesome, adventure junkie kind of character anyway, and that's, that's very much played up here. Um, the film is not without its flaws. There's a big sort of twist that comes towards the end of the film that's a bit weak, I suppose, and a bit kind of obvious and silly. And also, um, I think Viper is quite underutilised as a villain, but... Overall, actually, I really enjoyed this film, um, so much so that I'd actually like another Wolverine film, and I'd like them to actually return to some of the new characters that they've introduced into the franchise, like Mariko and Yukio. Um, I think it'd be good to see those characters again, um, which is not the reaction that I had coming out of uh, Wolverine Origins, or X-Men 3, or pretty much any X-Men film since X-Men 2. Obviously, they've got Days of Future Past coming up next, which is, this, you know, obviously a huge movie for them. Um, but I have to say, very impressed with this film. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half looks. Good Lord, Lisa. One of the things that I appreciated about this film was um, a lot of the practical elements. There's yeah. lot, obviously, there is CG in it, of course. Um, mm. But it's not over-the-top, overblown, for the most part, CGI. Um, there's one fantastic action sequence where Wolverine is fighting against some Yakuza on top of a bullet train. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a very quick scene, very, very tense, very fraught. Um, but... At no time is it at stage welcome. 
it's far superior to Origins, which is a piece of rubbish. Um, <laughs> and but uh, I, I mean, there's just you know, it was full of very cool moments. Mm. Um, the bullet train, uh, for mm. example, the fight against the ninjas with the it takes like fifty arrows to take taking down sort of stuff. That sort of stuff I thought was was really cool. I thought the Silver Samurai robot at the end was a shame. Um, it would have been cool to have had the actual you know comic mm. version of the Samurai. Mm. And uh, Viper, even though she was cool, just nowhere near used enough, like yeah. you said. And um, I would have liked to have seen some more of the sort of the samurai sort of element. So, so yeah. Logan sort of embracing. So he sort of, I mean, he he quite he's he's quite drawn to the Japanese way of life. Mm-hmm. I would have seen, liked to have seen a bit more of that of him embracing the Japanese way of life before all the big drama unfolded. Mm-hmm. But that's well, fine. That, you can, you can that's, always play that's into it what later. your follow-up film is. <laughs> I will finish up too by saying that uh, Hugh Jackman has turned playing Wolverine into a fine art now as well. Next up is Young Luke with Elysium. Okay. Elysium is set, in a, is set in a future Earth in which, effectively, Earth has become a slum. Um, crime is rampant, poverty is at an all-time high, and disease is almost decimated the entire population. We are being run by... Uh, we are being policed and patrolled by robots and artificial intelligence. Upset by that is the world of Elysium, a, starship, uh, a starfish-shaped space station in orbit above the Earth in which the rich powerful, the, um, the culturally um, more sophisticated live in a virtual paradise in which a disease can be, diseases can be cured, there is no um, rampant crime, um, the wealthy and the powerful live above us effectively. Max, played by Matt, played by Matt Damon, dreams of coming to Elysium. An, ex, an ex-con who has managed to break away from his past as best he can and get a job working in um, a munitions factory um, wants to get up there to live with the um, to live with the elite. However, during the course of um, one very bad day at work, he becomes completely irradiated to the point where he has got a week left to live, and the only way he can get he can save himself is to get up to Elysium to use one of their um, their med pods to cure him of his disease. To do that, however. He's actually got to go fall back on all times and past habits and become one with the um, the criminal fraternity again to earn enough money to get him up to Elysium, and that without giving um, the rest of the plot away is the basic is the basic setup for um, Neil Blomkamp's um, second fi- uh, follow-up feature to the remarkable District Nine. There's a lot of similarities to District Nine itself. The the world um, and the look of uh, particularly Earth um, looks a lot like dis- the District Nine. Shantytown um, that the prawns lived in. Um, the story, the storyline uh, featuring two male characters who are damaged in some way or are transformed in some way and are trying to cure themselves of their affliction um, is also apparent. This, however, is much more of an action story, um, and as a result, it doesn't quite have the emotional resonance that is in District that is in District Nine. Um, however, the action in this is quite um, quite astounding. It's the look and the feel of the film are astonishing. Um, I believe that uh, that uh, I believe that the Earth um, that, exi- that exists in this future is so totally um, totally far gone that we are in danger of dying effectively as a race. But I also believe that Elysium exists as um, a world above us as well, um, which is a testament to Neil Blomkamp's directing. The other testament to his directing, apart from getting some really good performances from Matt Damon. Um, Jodie Foster, who plays um, Delacorte, um, uh, and one of the people living on um, Elysium, and especially um, from Shalto Copley, who plays Kruger, um, a hired assassin trying to take down Max. It does a pretty good job, but the big thing is the, um, the action sequences again, in which there's a lot of handheld camera work, but when moments where the fight scene needs to progress, he does stop, pull the camera back, and you can actually see what's going on. I think that's one of his strengths as a director. He can actually be intense and move the camera around, but instead of instead of just keeping with that and just going with a sense of frenetic energy, he does pull back and try to tell the story and try to get the kept, try to keep the characters in focus as much as possible. So you never lose sight of what the characters are doing and what their emotional journey is overall. Um, not as good as as I said, but still worth the effort. I give this four looks. Okay, thank you, Luke. Next up, we have Crystal with The Artist. You may remember us talking about this film during our 
Oscar special uh, a year or two ago. When we watched this film for the Oscar special, I, I fell in love with it. Not only is this a throwback to the old filmmaking style of silent movies, they actually use sound as well as film and visuals as the medium to tell the story. Um, the story follows George Valentin, who is played by Luke. Jean Dujardin. Jean Dujardin, who is actually absolutely brilliant. He has a debonair Errol Flynn look about him, so he's perfect for the part, and he's got the most charismatic smile in Hollywood today, I have to say. <laughs> um, it follows his character, George, George Valentin, who is big-time Hollywood star back in the 20s. Um, before talkies come out. He's so famous that people love him. And the story is how he refuses to go into talkies. Now, what I love about this film is not only is it silent, they have to, so they have to use the mugging style of acting to get, their, to get things across, both in looking at the films that George is making and the, the film itself. But they also have visuals that help you along like for instance um there's lots of little clues that, that when the story starts to turn you see visuals of a cloud so it's getting cloudy the, the, the story's starting to get a bit stormy um you see george walk uh later on the movie walk across the street and the, the film that's playing is lonely star <laughs> little cues like that is, is just brilliant my favourite, all-time favourite scene in the movie is the first time uh, John Goodman's character sees Peppy. Like I say, they, they're using the sound as a medium, or the absence of sound as a medium, and you don't hear any sound except music until George goes into a sort of a dream sequence and he puts a glass down. And at first you don't realise it because you're so used to hearing sound in everyday life and in the movies then you go, hang on a minute, I heard that glass go down. And just as you realise that, he realises that and looks at the glass. Then he makes more noises. And that's where things get, start to get a bit freaky for him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the film is shot in 4.3. So don't freak out if you get the film out and it's not in widescreen. It was meant to be that way. Uh, and, it's, and it's also shot in a beautifully silvery sort of way they did back then. That's, this is why it's called the silver screen, people. <laughs> I can't I can't recommend this film enough. Go into it knowing it's a silent film so you don't go into it like people did when it first came out and walk out because they couldn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, def definitely, definitely watch this film. I give this film five looks. One of the things I liked about the, um, the scene that you mentioned, the dream sequence, is that um, when they when they actually do, when he does turn the glass, then it's out of sync. Mm. It's, perfect. It's, it's, a, it's a nice throwback to, you know, the introduction of sound and... Yeah not being able to properly sync the sound up to the actual um, motion, I thought, which, and that, it gets back to one of those touches. This is yeah. such a, a film, this came out at the same time as a film called Hugo, which, and they're both about the magic of cinema. But unlike Hugo, which sort of tells you, oh, Miles was a genius, this one actually lets you experience what cinema might have been, must have been like for people experiencing it for the first time yeah. mm -hmm. way back when, and the magic and... The transportation that the audiences could go on. Hmm. I forgot to say that the real star of the movie is the dog, who I like to call <laughs> Eddie because he looks like Eddie from Frasier. <laughs> he um, is awesome. Thank you, Crystal. That's awesome. You're welcome. Okay, next up we have myself with Kick Ass 2. As the title will suggest, Kick Ass 2 is the sequel to the film Kick Ass. Uh, it follows on four years, it's four years after the events of the first film. Uh, it's directed by Jeff Wadlow. The screenplay is written by Jeff Wadlow as well. Uh, he was part of the crew for the first film. And the original director, Matthew Vaughan, uh, is actually now the producer. Once again, it stars Aaron Taylor-Johnson as Dave Lazuski, um, who's kick-ass. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as Mindy, a.k.a. Hit Girl. Um, and a bunch of other people as well. Um, most notably, uh, Jim Carrey, uh, who plays Colonel Stars and Stripes. Uh, so like I said, the story is four years later. Kick-Ass is essentially retired. He just he, he doesn't he hasn't really retired, but he just doesn't really go out on the streets anymore. Um, but his uh, appearance four years ago has inspired others to become costumed uh, vigilante 
aka superheroes, um, and sort of patrol the streets and try and help people and stuff like that. Um, but he's kind of depressed because he doesn't go out and do it anymore because he doesn't want to upset his father. Mindy as well, uh, as Mindy uh, is living with um, her dad's former partner in the in the police, um, Morris Chestnut, who plays De Detective Marcus Williams, um, and she's trying she's trying hard to live. Uh, both lives like Marcus wants her to live the life of a, of a normal schoolgirl, um, but she still wants to keep her promise to her father her, her father big daddy so she goes out um, so she still trains um, and she st and she goes out and kills drug dealers and stuff like that you know behind the scenes but she then gets she eventually gets caught and uh, Marcus is very upset and so she decides so she promises him that she's not going to be hit girl anymore and that is uh, that's upset Dave because he actually wants her to team up with him together as a crime-fighting duo, aka Batman and Robin, and uh, there's a funny little scene where she's she's saying, "Look, Robin wishes he could be as cool as me," sort of stuff. So, and it's true, Hit Girl is awesome. Um, it's Hit Girl. This film basically should have just been called Hit Girl um, because he, she actually Mindy's the only one that actually has a character arc in this film. So she's she's trying to fit in at school. She's having to put up with the mean girl type you know, click who originally accept her, but then she finds that they've only really accepted her as a as like a token sort of pet. So they're really just talking down to her and so she gets her revenge. Um very funny but not safe for children scene. Whereas Dave, on the other hand, who is the star of the show essentially, has no arc at all. He's exactly the same as he was in the first film. Doesn't grow at all in 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 the film. Even after a, a pivotal moment that you know, that happens to a lot of comic book characters, which I don't want to spoil, but um, you would think he would have to change in some way, and no, he's essentially just the same. In fact, I actually find um, Dave's character quite annoying in this film. He, um, I'm a fan of the first film. I don't think it's the greatest film ever made, of course, but it's. I mean, I found I found it quite enjoyable. Whereas in this film, Dave's actually quite annoying. Um, he's. I mean, he's constantly pressuring Mindy, who's trying hard to sort of to live a double life, and but also not upset her new new father, Marcus. Um, but he just he, he basically keeps pressuring her to join up as this as this duo, um, as well as you know and, and basically and he keeps saying you're hit girl you're hit, you know you're you're basically a ninja, and it kind of goes against what he should be. I mean he should be telling her he basically he's telling her to live her own life, but then keeps keeps telling her that her life is hit girl, whereas really she should, he should be allowed to live live her own life as not as hit girl because it's, it's dangerous. And despite uh, my my opinion of Jim Carrey's uh, statements uh, when this film came out that he was um, not going to promote the film because he he basically can't stand the violence. Um, I, my opinion of that is is ridiculous. Uh, but um, he does an excellent performance in the film. He's a standout performance. Uh, his character is awesome, and every he steals every scene that he's in. Just because you're talented doesn't mean you can't be crazy. <laughs> I don't think he's crazy. I just think he's hypocritical. Um, but yeah, it's, um, and it does, and it is, does have quite a, a cool, uh, few cool scenes, especially the uh, the Mother Russia scene um, that I call suburban mayhem, where she takes on a bunch of cops in the suburbs. Um, it's a cool scene, but unfortunately, those scenes are not enough to elevate the rest of the film, and especially because of one particular scene. There's a scene in the comics uh, in the, in Kickass Two where uh, Dave's girlfriend is gang raped. Um, it's disgraceful. It's distasteful. It's pointless. Um, and it just basically just shows the type of person that Mark Miller is. And unfortunately, it sort of drags the entire comic down. They decided not to go with that scene in the film, thank God. But they, what they did, I actually think, is actually kind of worse. And I'd be interested to hear uh, you guys' opinions on it. Um, is they, there's, there's no gang rape. He's actually, Dave's not actually with this girl anymore. There's, they introduce a new character called um, Night B. Night Biatch. There you go, I can get away with that. And what the, the villains, the villains uh, go to her house um, and attack her. And then uh, Mother Effa says, you know, now you're going to feel, you know, an evil person's penis. And then can't get it up. He basically has an erectile dysfunction. And so just, and then it turns away and starts playing with himself in an effort to get hard. And I was just horrified. Horrified by this scene. It then cuts, it then cuts the Mother Russia kicking some butt out in the street. Um, the implication is that um, the, the other bad guy that, that Chris is with rapes her instead but that's never said and it's just sort of it's just sort of implied now that to me the reason i think that's actually worse is because i don't find rape funny i, I would have either have had the original scene that was in the comic which is disgraceful but at least true to the comic or just not have that scene at all 
I mean, it's not vital to the story to have that seed. I mean, the film's a mess anyway. Why bother having that at all? It's just, it's, it's unnecessary. And the fact that they play it so that the audience laughs in the face of what's about to come next, I just, I find incredibly distasteful. Which is a shame, because the rest of the film, like, is, is not brilliant or anything, but at least is enjoyable. And, you know, I like, I love Hit Girl, because she's awesome. Um, so every scene Hit Girl's in, awesome. Everything else, terrible. I give this film 1.5 looks. I find it very interesting that all Mindy has to do is apologise and say, I promise not to be a hit girl anymore after she's been killing people. Mm. Okay, but, they're bad people, but she's been killing people. But they're all bad people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually found in the first film, I found kick character to be really annoying. Mm-hmm. And I thought the only good thing in the first film was actually Chloe Moretz and, and Nicolas, Cage. Nicolas Cage. I mean, I, I haven't seen the film or read the comic, so, but... Honestly, neither scene that you've just described mm. sounds like something I want to see or read. In fact, it's, it's enough to make... I wasn't going to see the film anyway, but now I'm actually going to actively avoid any possible chance of ever seeing it. Yeah, that's... That, I'm sorry, I'm sitting here in a state of shock. I'm not having seen it either. But that just sounds disgusting. Yeah. Oh, yeah basically, basically, what we're saying is, really don't go see Kick-Ass 2. David actually, saw it, so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically, what I'm saying is, don't give this, don't give this film money. <laughs> I did like the scene in the trailer though where she turns the uh, the cheerleading performance into a yeah. fight and impresses everybody. Yeah, there's a, there's a, like, like, like I said, there's, the yeah, there's a couple of cool scenes. Every scene Mother Russia in is is hilarious just because she's ridiculously over the top. Um, but she's not. It's just not worth watching. Avoid. Next up, we have All Ages Comics. Okay, All Ages Comics, as the title would suggest, are comics that are are suitable for all readers. Um, There are some that specialise more for the younger younger readers, and then sort of like the teenage type type readers, and then of course you've got the older readers where you're not allowed to have gay marriage. So the All (laughs) all Ages, anybody can read and enjoy. Um, Kick ass. (laughs) <laughs> kick ass is not one of them. No, <laughs> as much as I enjoy to kick ass, it's not for you know little Jimmy or little Sue. Uh, <laughs> but everyone else is okay. <laughs> everybody, everybody else is fine. What about little Billy? <laughs> little Billy, he's like, he could probably handle it. <laughs> Billy's a man you can trust. <laughs> Boy, don't you mean? He's little well, Billy, not eventually Bill. he becomes Big Bill. Anyway, <laughs> we're, now we're just being silly. Yeah, um, now we're being silly. <laughs> um, all the all of the uh, comic imprints that I know of have at least one all-ages title, um, and some of them have multiple. Um, of course, Disney Comics, essentially all of their titles are, are you know, family-friendly as per, their, as per their want. And you've also got uh, the Archie Comics, uh, I mean, Archie Publications, that uh, I wouldn't really say were good for you know, quite young kids, but at least teens upwards. But the whole, the whole point is that they're all around American. Yeah. But, um, and they support gay marriage. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> And the reason I, the reason I think uh, all ages comics are important is because you want to get uh, encourage young uh, young kids to read, and uh, I think comics are the perfect medium for that. Um, I mean, books are obviously important. Um, I mean, nobody would ever take the hungry hungry caterpillar away from me. Um, but that also leads to uh, that I think that visually visuals help the reading process. It's um, true. He really had a copy. I do. It's my favourite book ever, and I'll kill anybody who says otherwise. <laughs> Sorry, it leads me to violence. Who says that it's violence? Not violent video games that make you kill people. It's hungry, hungry caterpillar. Hungry <laughs> uh, caterpillar is awesome. Book, right? so, yeah, um, can't argue that. Yeah. So the, the whole, the having visuals along with the text um, helps stimulate, it helps stimulate their mind and their interest in reading, and then they will eventually move on to to novels as uh, such as the the Oz, you know, series, and my personal favourites, the uh, Sweet Valley Highs, and. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> I was going to suggest Alice in Wonderland, but sure, Sweet Valley High, <laughs> if that's your thing. Well, the three investigators. Three investigators yeah. are awesome. They hung Magic, out with Alfred Hitchcock. Magic Faraway tree. Yeah, anyway, um, so yeah, and there is a, so uh, that being said, there is actually an Adventures in Oz comic by Eric Shenowa that I highly recommend that you check out because it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. A couple of other All Ages comics are Bone by Jeff Smith, uh, which is probably the most famous one, I suppose. Uh, Death Junior by Gary Witter. Dreamland Chronicles by Scott Saver, Emily in the Intergalactic Lemon Stand, awesome <laughs> by Ian nice. and Tyson Smith, and I've checked I've checked out a, a copy and it's cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very very cool. Uh, Franklin Richards, Son of a Genius. Um, Not Son of a Preacher Man. 
No. No. <laughs> uh, G-Man, uh, Grumpy Old Monsters, which is pretty cool, uh, by, by Rebecca Moster and Kevin J. Anderson. Very famous in Japan, Gone, uh, by Makashi Tanaka. Awesome comic. Check it out. That's a, it's a manga. It's very, very cool. Uh, Goosebump, the Goosebump series, which are novels before Crystal jumps in. Um, Stein. <laughs> by, by R. R. Stein, um, as, as well as comics. Crypto the Superdog, uh, Leave It to Chance by James Robinson. The Absolutely Brilliant Mouse Guard by David Peterson. Uh, the Runaways by Brian K. Vaughan, which I'll cover later. Teen Titans Go by Jay Torres. And uh, Australia's Own The Deep by Tom Taylor. Um, that's, and that is just, that is a small, mm. small list. There is a heap more. And, uh, and a lot more on the way, too. It's becoming, yeah. a, there's becoming a bit of a renaissance for all ages books at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Sort of backlash against, I suppose, what's happening with the big two. Yeah. Mm. And, and uh, I didn't even mention the DC Unlimited series, the Justice League Unlimited, Batman Unlimited, the Adventure, I think they're called the Adventures. Yeah, yeah. Some, they've got a whole a whole range, that sort of stuff. Plus the itty-bitty Batman, little Gotham and itty-bitty Hellboy. Yeah, that sort of stuff. And Mar Marvel Adventures. Yeah, Marvel so like I said, well. it's a tiny, tiny list. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's become so important. Oh, the most famous one at the moment is My Little Pony, My Little Pony Adventures. Yep. Which had a J. Scott Campbell cover, <laughs> which is awesome. It's, it's um, outselling. Pretty much everything except maybe Walking Dead 100. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, so each comic shop that you go to will have um, an all-ages section. Um, I know uh, Classic Comics has got a, a quite a large one. All-Star Comics in Melbourne, um, is their front, the, right there at the front counter, half their front counter is all-ages comics only. And then the other half is you know current trade. So um, it's, it's very important, and any um, comic shop retailer will tell you just how cool it is to have you know, kids come in and get really excited about these all-ages comics. But I mean, of course, some of them will want to pick up the latest Batman and Superman and, you know, that sort of stuff. And that's to be expected. Um, yeah, but it takes one to hook them. That's right. The, the, For life. The huge reaction to um, My Little Pony was amazing. Mm. And uh, I love my little pony. <laughs> little pony. Okay. <laughs> Rainbow Bridal, strawberry shortcake. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, so we're actually going to cover a couple of our favourite all-ages comics, because I, I read them. I'm not ashamed. Um, He's not ashamed about much. That's right. Nothing much shames me. <laughs> Starting off with Richo and Leave It to Chance. Leave It to Chance was actually a fairly short-lived series. It only ran for 15 issues. Um, it was written by James Robinson and drawn by Paul Smith. Uh, the story features Chance, who is a girl living in a town where magic is actually quite preeminent. Her father is basically the world's greatest uh, sorcerer, um, and he's there defending us from magical threats and invasions from other dimensions by, you know, like Cthulhu-like monsters and all that sort of stuff. And Chance actually wants to get, get in on this as well. She wants to help her dad out, and he just refuses to let her because she's too young and she's still going to go to school. And, um, and she's that, just a girl. That's right. <laughs> But that doesn't stop her in any way. She um, she's awesome. She starts actually um, just doing her own investigations. She has a pet dragon that uh, accompanies her basically everywhere, and um, and friends that get involved as well. And um, what what really what I really love about this series is that you've got a a strong, independent, capable young girl just out trying to do the best she can to help. The, the, you know, the people around her, help the city she lives in, help her dad, uh, despite all of his efforts to keep her away from that. Yeah, There's, but in the effort to keep her safe, not yeah, because absolutely. he's being mean. No, no, he's, 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 he's a genuinely decent guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and she, she ends up, you know, fighting, you know, giant frog monsters and uh, undead hockey players and all, all sorts of cool stuff. But, but um, as with, you know, probably all the comics that people are going to talk about here, the great thing about this book is it is just fun. Yeah, and um, it it came out in the nineties, and the great response that the book got from parents actually saying, you know, I could sit down with my daughter and read this with her and, and share the stories with her it was just fantastic. But for you know an adult like myself, it was just adventure stories, well written, great characterization, beautiful artwork, really everything you'd want from any comic book. Uh, but yeah, especially, obviously, an all-ages book as well. It's good that it came out when it did, because most of the stuff in the 90s sucked. Well, there was a, there was a fairly <laughs> dark period there. And that, this book was a bit of a, a breath of fresh air. A bit at the of time. fun. Thanks, Richard. 
Uh, next up we have Luke and Bone. Bone is written and drawn by Jeff Smith and as well, Dave said, it's probably the preeminent one in terms of uh, kids comics, but I think it's preeminent for, it's sort of preeminent as a kids comic is actually kind of interesting because when it gets published, it got published by Cartoon Books independently, which means that it was only being distributed through comic book shops, which means only comic book fans were reading it. So it's adult, it's fan base starts off being, you know, adults and grown-ups, but then he uh, hooked up with Scholastic Publishing and they started to print it A and cut print trades in colour, and they started to aim at a much younger audience, and that's how it found um, a second life, almost. He also managed to get it into Disney magazine as well, at the same time, yeah. so it was really quite amazing. Um, so you managed to, and that, that's really how it started life as, you know, a, a kid's comic. I actually came to this a little bit differently. I started to read this towards the end of the run, mm. and sort of, which is big mistake, because you're getting right in the middle of the story, and um, you're not getting a sense of the setup or the characters and things like that. So when they released the um, the big uh, mammoth can stone a person to death with it edition, mm. I started reading that and I fell in love with it immediately. It's yeah. the story is basic is is quite simple. It's um, Phone, Smiley, and Phony Bone, the Bone cousins, have been chased out of their home hometown of Boneville. Um, we don't know why just yet, but we know it's because of Phony, um, uh, who wears a shirt with a star on his chest, who was the former mayor. Um, they are making their way through the uncharted, de uncharted desert when they are attacked by a mysterious swarm of locusts. Um, after that attack, they become separated and lost, and Finebone, the sort of the more naive, optimistic, likeable version of the bunch, finds himself alone in the forest where he meets Thorn, a young peasant girl who immediately forms an attachment to. Thorn takes him back to her house, where um, we discover where he meets um, her, um, her grandma, Grandma Ben, Best cat, one of the best tough old ladies this side of this side of Mammy Yoakum from Little Abner. <laughs> at that, at the same time, Phony and Smiley have made their way to the village just outside of the forest, where Phony, in true Phony style, tries to canoodle and connive so that he can, you know, reap great profits and great rewards. Um, at the same time, screwing things up for himself spectacularly. <laughs> I just remember, yeah, the cow race, yeah, the yeah. great cow race. Like that, so, um, Awesome. At the same t at the same time, however, rat creatures have started patrolling the lands again. Stupid, stupid rat creatures. Not just stupid, stupid rat creatures. <laughs> um, uh, have started patrolling the lands again and are actually causing a substantial amount of damage. And it is slowly being led that they're being that their king is actually being run by the Lord of Locusts, um, a mysterious hooded figure who is actually trying to overrun the land. <laughs> There's a lot more to it, of course. You know, the 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 situation and the, the landscape is actually quite complex. Yeah. It is the best fantasy story. It is a fantasy story. It is the best fantasy story I've ever read since Lord of the Rings, which should you know, a lot of modern fan a lot of modern fantasy authors should hang their heads in shame, um, and just revere this book that takes a lot of the stuff that Tolkien does, but manages to create something quite charming, exceedingly funny, and that's its strong suit. I think it, it is a very funny book um, that is still driven by that is still driven by character um, and situation as opposed to hey, we've created a cool land. Uh, the, his art style is basically a combination of Walt Kelly from Pogo, Carl Bach's Duck Stories, mm -hmm. and Charles M. Schultz's Peanuts. Um, and it is a wonderful combination. I cannot recommend this enough. This is one of my all-time favorites. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Next up, we've got Crystal with Peanuts. Yes, uh, nice segue from, from Luke there, actually. Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. I chose Peanuts because... I read it as a child. I, I still I can still read it today and find it just as enjoyable now as I did then. So I think that's the, the definition of all ages comics. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Peanuts started out in, as a comic strip in the newspapers. Yeah. Which so it by, by by definition it sort of had to be all ages because you need to you know it's it's sort of written for kids, but you want to keep the attention of the adults reading the newspapers as well. And I like Fred Bassett. It's funny. Yes. It's, it's, it can be very Hard funny. Belt, you know, each back. each character is is well defined. You know, you got you got Charlie Brown, who is highly identifiable for me. Was the loner child. Nobody seems to like much, and always getting things wrong. A bit of a bit of a loser. You've got Lucy, who also I identified with because she is crabby. Actually, the book I'm holding in my hand is called What's Wrong with Being Crabby. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've I've been known for being crabby, especially. First thing in the morning. And there's nothing wrong with being crabby. <laughs> <laughs> to answer young Lucy, Lucy's question, there is nothing wrong with being crabby. Nothing at all. 
nothing at all. Linus with his eternal security blanket. Um, when poor Snoopy, uh, uh, poor Linus, <laughs> Snoopy tries to take the blanket from him constantly. <laughs> Schroeder playing his tiny little toy piano. Um, Snoopy, of course, and probably the most famous one. Snoopy, who can World War II uh, Red Barons and has conversations with a little bird called Woodstock. And, and, and as Peppermint Patty says, he's the strangest kid I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but it's just. It's not so. Uh, it's the, the stories, and also just the way it's it's drawn. Like there's a little panel here of Snoopy kicking Linus up the butt, and just the look <laughs> on Linus's face is like, no, oh, <laughs> did not expect that. <laughs> Poor Charlie Brown gets knocked out with a baseball, and all his clothes fall off. It's just an enjoyable little world to pull yourself into, um, and the art, while it's simplistic, it's it's focused on on the kids and the expressions. Uh, and and uh, it's quite a lot of it where it's just just panels. There's no story. There's no text at all. Um, he is very good at doing just panels and telling a story of just just those simple little characters. Peanuts is magnificent and it's iconic mm. to our childhoods. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's the, the the Peanuts Christmas special mm. with its music, mm. which will forever burn into my mm. brain. And, and, uh, adults are rah, 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 yeah, rah, and rah. the fact that you can never hear a, an adult, and, it's, and that plays on the fact that kids don't really listen anyway. anyway. Yeah. And uh, well, it and, also serves that you know you don't want the adults. Yeah. This is the kids' point of view. They're not important. Yeah, yeah. I, I just like Snoopy's outlook on life too. <laughs> just, uh, Linus will constantly teach him, try to teach him to play fetch. And mm. there's one here who's just like, "Oh, you won't do it, huh?" Mm. And Snoopy's wondering, "Oh, no." I just want people to have more to say about me after I'm gone than he was a nice guy and he chased sticks. <laughs> <laughs> it can be quite whimsy too, mm. whimsical. Um, there's one here of Snoopy sitting on top of his doghouse as he does and he's snoring and he sort of falls forward a bit. The the Z in the top bubble falls down and goes clunk and he wakes <laughs> up with a little question mark. <laughs> well, Pe- Peanuts really is the ultimate all ages comic strip. I mean, there's a reason why it's been going for, you know, 60 plus years and why the characters have become so iconic. Awesome. Next up is myself with Runaways. Run, run. And no, I'm not talking about Runaway. the, that teenage girl band. Runaways. Oh, it's got the Del Shannon song. All the song. Uh, so Runaways was created by Brian K. Vaughan and Adrian Alfano um, and debuted in July of 2003. It deals with uh, six, well, originally dealt with six kids uh, whose parents were secretly supervillains <laughs> and uh, controlled uh, the un- the underbelly of Los Angeles in the Marvel Universe. The group who were called the Pride, uh, they met up every year to sort of discuss, you know, how things were going and sort of, and so of course they had to drag the kids along with them. Um, and at first the kids were just, it's like, yeah, it's okay, well, we get to see these kids and whatever, we sort of just hang out and be bored. Uh, but then one fateful night, uh, they accidentally stumble across the fact that their parents are in fact villains, um, and decide to run away and take some of their take some of their stuff, and then fight against the machine. I like that too. I'm gonna use that again. So after they band together and defeat their parents, they decide to uh, stay together as a group in order to a look after each other because they're I mean, now quite young. One of them, Molly, the youngest, is actually still in school and still wears you know bunny slipper and stuff like that. Um, Why did you point to your head when you said bunny slippers? I like bunny slippers, and I've got one on my head right now. (laughs) Um, I think she's about 12 or so. Yeah, and they do, uh, and during the course of the story, they, Alex leaves the team because, and uh, they joined by a couple of other kids, um, the cyborg, uh, Victor, um, the scroll, Zavin, and the plant manipulator, Clara. Um, but the Runaways themselves, the actual main core group, are Alex, um, who's a, the, the sort of de facto leader of the team. He's sort of like a sort of a uh, just he's basically just very intelligent, doesn't have any powers. Uh, Nico, um, who is a witch, uh, has a staff, and which and she uses to cast spells. But it has an interesting thing that can it can't cast the same spell twice, so she has to be very careful in how she words things, uh, which is very very cool. Uh, Carolina, um, who discovers that she's actually an alien um, and has some sort of light-based powers that allow her to fly and stuff like that, um, and a very cool effect whenever she transforms. Uh, Gertrude, uh, who has a tele effect linked to a genetically modified 
Raptor from the future, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Chase, uh, who, who also doesn't have any powers, but uses gizmos that he stole from his parents. Most notably, his awesome gloves um, and a vehicle that he steals just that's called the Frog or something. <laughs> they call it the Frog. And the aforementioned Molly, um, who is actually a mutant, as in the Marvel Universe version of the mutants, um, and uh, is later revealed to be unbelievably powerful. Uh, so it's, she's actually like the third strongest mutant in the world. So it's, uh, but the problem is because she's so she's so young. Whenever she exerts herself, she just has to go to sleep, <laughs> so to sort of recover, <laughs> which is like which is pretty cool. Um, and Wolverine's her favorite superhero. <laughs> which he tells which he tells him um, it's, it's a cool group of comics um, it uh, is currently finished um, and is collected uh, in a series of trades Marvel at one point uh, started releasing uh, a few of their all ages comics in digest form in order to sort of more appeal to sort of the manga crowd and also to sell them in bookstores and sell them in bookstores and, and, and give them to libraries and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, or sell them to libraries. Marvel doesn't give anything away for free. Um, so after Brian K. Vaughan uh, leaves and the sort of main storyline's done, the story sort of peters off a bit, and other writers come in and and try and add their bits, and and not quite as, as successful, but still enjoyable, and more importantly, still all ages friendly. It does deal uh, a little bit later. It does deal with some more teen sort of orientated storylines, uh, most notably homosexuality, um, because Carolina is gay. Um, and also deals, interestingly enough, they go back in time, and it also deals with child marriage. Um, so Clara uh, is actually the same age as Molly, um, but she's actually married to a guy um, who mistreats her, and uh, there's some fascinating scenes around that sort of subject, so Molly doesn't quite understand exactly what's going on, or doesn't, or pretends that she doesn't understand. So fascinating stuff. So in, in terms of the overall storyline, not much, but some really, really interesting scenes. Um, and I just sort of fell in love with the characters, uh, so much so that um, currently they have a current series called Avengers Arena, uh, which has a couple of these characters in it. Um, Avengers Arena deals, for anybody who listened to our Marvel Now <laughs> episodes, it deals with a Battle Royale slash Hunger Games type storyline where a bunch of teenage superheroes are kidnapped and put onto Murder Island and basically have to kill each other in order to survive. Um, a couple of those characters are here, are there, uh, Nico and... Uh, chase and I was very very upset <laughs> that anything would happen to these characters during the course of this the course, course of this story and for anybody who's currently reading Avengers Arena they will know that Car- that uh, Nico is now dead so what an absolute disgrace <laughs> yeah okay is that like <laughs> Newt being you know murdered off scene in Alien it 3? is Alien 3 level of crap <laughs> yeah it is uh, very very disappointing yeah. and Chase is actually now the new Dark Hawk so yeah what <laughs> it's just an, an absolute disaster. Uh, so read the. So if you want the original good stories, you want to preserve the memory of these kids, then read Runaways and just ignore Avengers Arena. Which strange. Which paradoxically, I'm actually kind of enjoying. So I don't know. It's weird. Anyway. <laughs> um, so there. Yeah, so that is Runaways. Now um, we've actually got a and our award, our all ages feature. Uh, I've actually got a giveaway, is uh, the seven volumes of Runaway's Digest. All brand new and waiting for a good home. Um, now, there's no real competition here. I basically just want to give them to somebody who is going to make use of them. So if you have somebody who you think would enjoy awesome stories, um, there's there's no question, trivia question or anything wacky. Just send us in uh, an email or a tweet or... Whatever the case may be, we'll have the details later on in the show on how you can contact us. And just say, just say that you want them. If you've got someone who you think is going to enjoy them, even if it's yourself, um, I, I want to give them to somebody who's, who's uh, going to make use of them and, and uh, hopefully maybe even get introduced to the world of comics. It's a conspiracy. Big comic wants to get you hooked. <laughs> the first one's free. I don't work for Marvel. I just want to point that out. <laughs> We're not endorsed by Marvel. So, yeah. So, just... Um, let us know if you want to give these to somebody as a prezi. They're yours. And remind um, people that comics can actually be fun. Exactly. Comics can be fun, especially when they're not part of the DC New 52. Yeah, or Marvel, <laughs> who have now apparently just killed off two of the characters <laughs> from this great all ages book. DC Poo 52. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so just, uh, just let us know by September 28, uh, just so I can then 
you know, announce who's going to get them uh, in the next episode. That's September 28th, Australian Easter Standard Diet. Yes. <laughs> I like how you point that out every time. Because I always forget. <laughs> it's a global world. So just before I move on to uh, <laughs> the global world, before I move on to the uh, on how you can actually contact us, um, I just want to point out a couple of events that are going to happen. Uh, well, one's going to happen in, within the next couple of weeks, and one's actually going to happen later on. Uh, All Star Comics is actually playing host to two events in the next in the coming month. Uh, on Saturday, September twenty first, uh, the artist Grange Wallace uh, is going to be on hand all day at All Star uh, in order to do free sketches. Um, so. That is awesome. Uh, he's, a, he's a great artist. I'm a fan of his work. Um, he does a very cool Flash Gordon. Uh, so uh, if you want to check him out, his Facebook, uh, facebook.com is Grange Wallace Art, uh, and he tweets on at Grange Wallace. That's G-R-A-N-G-E-W-A-L-L-I-S. Um, so, yeah, so it's Tony's 21st. Get down there, get a free sketch. He'll do whatever you want. You know, family friendly, of course. <laughs> he, he, he won't, won't do the Harley scene. Ah, out done. Um, and then also, also then uh, on Oct- on Saturday, the twelfth of October, between two pm and five pm, uh, also is going to also be hosting the the Milk Shadow Books uh, launching of two new graphic novels. Uh, they are Dylan Naylor's Dar and Dill: The Showbag Years. <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, and Ben Constantine's Squirtstone, The Collected Plump Oyster Volume 1. Um, awesome. I've had a very brief look uh, at uh, both these titles, and, I, and I, I, in the brief look that I've had, I recommend them, but I, I'll have to read them properly and give them a, a proper review. But um, that's uh, 12th of October, between 2 and 5, so check it out. And I'm sure they'll have a, you know, some sort of Facebook information as well. Uh, I'm a fan of Milk Shadow, Milk Shadow Books. Australia's own, good people, they do good work. Always happy to help them out as much as I can. Next up, coming soon. Uh, coming soon is where we cover films that are coming out to Australian cinemas in the next two weeks. Uh, in cinemas, September 19, we get Percy Jackson, The Sea of Monsters, the sequel to the original Percy Jackson film. Mm. Um, meh, don't care. Mm. One Direction, This Is Us. In so, 3D. So I want to see go. that. I'd rather get my own eyes out. Uh, Turbo, which is a story about a snail that gets the ability to just zoom in races and stuff, and like, who cares? Uh, <laughs> well, you can tell the holidays are coming up, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Well, September 19th, so it's, it's Australian school holidays. Uh, planes, which is a follow-up to Toy Story, but now dealing with planes, with the ridiculous idea that one of the planes is a crop, the main star is a crop duster, but he's scared of heights. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Okay, that's kind of funny. It's t- not funny at all. That's like a speeding snail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the worst of the bunch, at least in my opinion, Grown Ups 2. The yeah, sequel that had to happen. Yeah. I didn't know there was a Grown Ups. Well, trust <laughs> you me. Did, you you know, didn't mismatch. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute abomination. Awful, awful stuff. Anyway, made enough money to make a sequel. Then on September 26th, we get Runner Runner. Uh, Tim Winton's The Turning. Uh, which is based on Tim Winton's short stories. Mm, that uh, could be pretentious or interesting, depending on how they do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it looks interesting from the trailer that I've seen. Uh, Lovelace, uh, the biography of Linda Lovelace, the star of Deep Throat. Certainly um, not suitable for children. No, definitely not. And uh, I've read some reviews, and um, yeah, I'm not very interested. Uh, and I, Frankenstein, which <laughs> deals with, with with the Frankenstein monster, obviously, uh, in modern times, and um, a bunch of, I believe, are they vampires or werewolves? Uh, one of the, some supernatural creatures that want to use him in their war against whoever their enemies are. Oh yeah, no, I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, is it Aaron Eckhart? Yeah, I think it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Filmed in Australia. Is it, is it called <laughs> I Frankenstein as a play on I Robot? I guess so. Yeah, isn't it based on some novels? Yeah, probably. A series of books? Who knows? And as a special mention, uh, a couple of days later, on September 29th, we get Stoker. Um, And I just wanted to mention it because I'm really looking forward to this. Um, It's directed by Chan Wook Park. I I heard uh, Nicole Kidman talking about this on the radio. It it, it sounds quite interesting. I think it looks awesome. Australia's uh, own Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I want to... And and she's... And Mia... And Australia's own Mia... Wazowski, yeah. Wazowski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks, it looks awesome, and I, I really want to see. It. Once I've read some reviews, and it's just all, all glowing. Okay, just to finish up that epic episode, you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or you can post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast, or you can tweet us 
at NerdCultureCast. Or you can leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes. And a new feature that we're very excited about is you actually can now leave a message for us on Skype. So our Skype name is Nerd Culture Podcast, all one word, no spaces. There'll be a, a, a little message. If you want to leave some feedback, if you want to ask us a question, or basically just tell us how much you love us, that's cool. Just uh, call us up on Skype, uh, leave a message, and if, if it's a question um, or some feedback, we'll play it on the air. So it's absolutely awesome. It's available now. So you can use, so don't forget, you can use those details to send in and uh, request the Runaways comics. Basically, essentially, the first person first person who requests them, they're yours. First in, best dressed. That's it. We're not even going to use the NCP hat. It's just whoever gets to me first. Oh, the hat's very sad. Yeah, the hat is sad. It's, it's it looks sad. It's but slunk off away in, in To be fair, it corner. looks sad even when, it's, even when it's not sad. It doesn't look sad when I'm wearing it. It's a bit flop. <laughs> Okay, that's it for episode 59. That's bye from me and the crew, Richo. I'm off to the bathtub with the toaster. Terrible. <laughs> Luke. As long as we can bake him in a light, fluffy quiche. <laughs> and Crystal. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye.